This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for Chip Chat, where we're joined by journalist Chip Gibbons. Hey, Chip. Hello, hello, hello. My cat is taking my microphone away from me for some reason, but um, oh, well, hello. The cat is more than welcome to participate in Chip Chat uh, as well, if, if, if it has anything to offer, does it? Artis always has something to offer. Uh, what about for a podcast where people need to hear the offering? Well, he's perhaps not. Oh, he's a very vocal cat. Let's get a meow, Marcus. Come on. Meow. Meow. <laughs> Marcus uh, having a little bit of a stage fright right now. Chip, uh, I don't. I actually did not prepare any snack talk, any chip talk. Uh, do you guys have anything you want off the top here to talk about in terms of snacks before we uh, dive into the main topic of the week? I don't have enough variety in the snacks that I eat to discuss a new snack every week. Hmm. You know, I have I, some, I, oh, sorry, go I on. I had some salt and vinegar chips the other day. You, you know? Of course, always. That's a classic, salt and vinegar. It's all, all, it's um, all chip eats, as far as snacks go. Some snack news on my front. My wife and I got a air fryer, an air fryer in... Uh, Frozen fries have never tasted this good. Really? Yeah. Like, you know, when you say tasted this good, do you mean relative to other frozen fries, or are they stacking up with fries that you might get in a restaurant or at like a fast food joint? Oh, I mean, I would have to do a little more taste testing, I think, but... I was very pleased with the results uh, so far, and I think it's definitely better than the oven. Hmm. So I actually do have snack news. I've recently been firing up my popcorn maker. Sam just reminded me of that. I uh, I got a projector since I don't think I'm ever going to a movie theater again, and then I, I fired up the popcorn maker, and I usually used like olive oil to pop the popcorn, but I started popping it in butter. And you know, like watching Vertigo on my projector, and it feels feels like um, what 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 the projector, not a movie theater, but I'm I'm picturing one of those old timey popcorn makers that are like glass and square and stuff. I thought about getting one of those, but that seems like a frivolous expense. I just have like a like a like it's like a hot metal thing, and you put the bowl over it, and it's a, a, a like a Turner thing turns it around, and then it pops. Hmm. Well, that, that sounds delightful. Happen. I wish I wish I could invite myself over, but there's a damn pandemic going on, this and it would be it would be unhealthy. That's right. All right. Uh, let me segue now into American fascism. Uh, we are now in year four of the Trump administration, and we're starting to see some of the, um, I guess, more textbook examples of. Uh, fascism at play in the streets where we have uh, unidentified federal agents um, rendering people, rendering protests, protesters on the street, um, putting them into minivans and driving off. Uh, we have threats that these tactics that are being employed by the Department of Homeland Security are going to be brought to other cities 
Trump has described them as liberal cities. Uh, Chip, your uh, your take on what we're seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously very disturbing, the reports that, you know, unidentified people in military gear, people can't tell if they're police or, like, local militias. I believe reports have now confirmed that their Custom and Borders Patrol are doing, you know, sweep arrests where they grab someone off the street and throw them in in an unmarked car and then, I believe, hold them for several hours. I don't believe they've been being held for that long, um, but still just very disturbing and clearly designed to intimidate and chill people from protesting. And, you know, before this story got national news, you also saw an incident where U.S. Marshals shot someone with an impact munition in the head and and badly injured them. I believe a a military veteran had their fingers broken by federal forces in Portland the other night. Um, So really excessive force deployed against protesters in Portland. You know, the justification for this is that they're there to guard the federal courthouse from graffiti um, I don't know how big of a national threat graffiti is at the courthouse. It seems like a, you know, almost like a Halloween prank level of, of problems. Um, but this massive display of federal force has clearly gone well beyond, you know, protecting us against against vandalism and has moved into clear attempts to attack protest along with this continued escalation of this sort of demagogic demagogic rhetoric from you know large portions of right i believe lou dobbs described you know some of these cities are on the border of an insurrection i don't i don't know how you overthrow a government with graffiti um but apparently you can uh must not be a very strong government and and just this sort of like continuous rhetoric from the right that depicts you know, liberal urban cities as being on the verge of like a Bolshevik style revolution and the local authorities are all in cahoots with them and therefore these strong arm tactics are necessary. It's like, buddy, I wish. Buddy, we wish. Um, <laughs> but Beat I guess the, 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 good, <laughs> the good news uh, or the silver lining to all of this is that when we started seeing some of the uh, more shocking images and stories coming out of Portland, Portlanders responded by showing up in even greater numbers. And, and the, uh, the crowd sizes in Portland increased geometrically, it seems. And we're now closer, obviously we're nowhere near a, a Bolshevik insurrection, a Bolshevik style insurrection, but we're closer now than we were a few days ago. I don't know about that, but I do know that repression <laughs> does not tend to dismiss protest in the way that law enforcement hopes, right? We saw this in D.C., where they had a really heavy-handed response to protesters, where they tear-gassed them for a photo op, and then you had that sort of night of terror in D.C., where, you know, Barr was in the FBI command center, you saw the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff out on the streets, there are helicopters flying around. And then, you know, after that, like tons of people took to the streets in D.C. Um, I was at Occupy Wall Street on the very first day. It was a pretty small protest of no no real significance. Um, and then, you know, the handful of people that remained like a couple days later, or maybe it was a week later, were, were, were um, pepper sprayed and kettled on, on TV by uh, Officer Bologna, which apparently is a common name for officers to engage in police brutality i think <laughs> uh, that's anti-italian discrimination anti-Italian. chip and we won't stand for it on I chip chat like there was another officer bologna who was in the news for police philadelphia 
Yes. And I don't know if it's the same man who's gone from city to city or it's just like I was having flashbacks. It's, it's the same having... family. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, but right. And then after that, Occupy Wall Street blew up because people came out on the streets and it spread across the country. Uh, same thing with, you know, the heavy handed response to the protests with George Floyd. We saw them spread across the country. So, you know, these sort of heavy handed law enforcement tactics don't always, you know, end up dispersing the protests. They end up at a certain level making them stronger. And I don't want to dismiss the reality of repression because, you know, at a certain level they can, um, you know, chill movements and certainly state violence helped to destroy Occupy. Chip, uh, what do you make of, and we've seen city officials in Portland speak out against the federal agents that are on the ground there, um, but behind the scenes, there, according to people I've talked to there, there still is a lot of coordination between local police and federal agents there, so there's a lot of sort of uh, outward talk by public officials, but behind the scenes still coordination going on with these federal agents. But we've seen some, uh, I guess, more hostile language in other cities that Trump has threatened to send troops to. Uh, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia said that he would arrest federal agents who engage in uh, kidnapping. Um, There's a a district attorney candidate uh, in Manhattan who uh, tweeted out that the statute of limitations on kidnappings would not be over by the time she takes office as a warning to uh, federal agents there. What are the chances that we might see? Uh, I mean, I'm skeptical of it, obviously, because I think cops are cops, whether they're at the local or federal level. But what do you make of the chances of some sort of confrontation? And what are the, the legal, uh, I guess, uh, rules? What are the rules here dictating these two police forces operating? Sure. I mean, there's uh, a number of things that you've asked about. First thing I'll say is that, you know, Portland police have been very brutal against protesters for some time. They've been caught openly collaborating with right wing militias. I know a number of people from Portland are very angry at what they feel like is their local officials attempts to sort of deflect their own responsibility and local police forces responsibility for brutalizing protesters with with sort of putting all the blame on Trump. Um as far as what you mentioned, I mean, there's several lawsuits stemming from Portland, including one being brought by the Oregon Attorney General. I know the Oregon Attorney General has talked about filing charges against the officer who shot the person in the head. Uh, Larry Krasner discussed, um, you know, arresting people, as you mentioned. And I've, I've heard other people mention this as a plausible thing that could be done, right? Like false arrest is a crime, kidnapping is a crime. Obviously, law enforcement has a line of defense, but if these arrests are made without probable cause, without reasonable suspicion, you know, there's not much of a, a defense unless they would argue that they had good faith to think that they thought they had reasonable suspicion or probable cause. Probable cause is needed to arrest someone. Reasonable suspicion is needed for a brief investigatory stop. Uh, throwing someone in the back of a van is not a brief investigatory stop. It is an arrest, so you would need you would need probable cause or warrant based on probable cause for that. And I don't see how the officers could, could argue that they had that. Who knows? Um, I feel like it's a clearly established right. So sovereign immunity would not apply here that you can't throw someone in the back of a van without probable cause. But who knows what the judiciary will do? 
I don't know how serious these threats are. I, I have difficulty seeing this type of showdown happening, but who knows? I mean, there was the incident in, in Italy uh, like a decade ago where they issued the warrants for the um, CIA officers who were involved in rendition. And, and you could see a situation like that. Would there be any actual attempt to execute the warrant? Would police, you know, bother with it? Or would they just sort of deprioritize it? If that federal officer then, you know, just left the state of Oregon, um, would anyone seek extradition? Would anyone honor the extradition? There's a bunch of what ifs here, but it does seem like a Larry Krasner type or someone like that could issue like a John Doe warrant as a largely sort of symbolic gesture, um, make no real attempts to sort of ascertain the identity of John Doe or, or, or have them extradited or have the warrant executed. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't want to speculate. I have a hard time seeing a cop carry out that order. Cops aren't um, going to carry it out. I think you're right. It, it, you know, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Uh, the only precedent that I can really, or, or that I personally can think of in all this is the case of Sid Hatfield, the mate one, West Virginia, Yes. A police officer who got in a gunfight, but <clears throat> excuse me, that was with uh, private detectives from the uh, Baldwin Felt Agency. That wasn't from the West Virginia State you, uh, Agency or any kind of federal agency. Twenty-four hours to bring that up to me in relationship to this this story. So I think a lot of people's minds are are going there. Where is twenty twenty Sid Hatfield? That is what we all want to know. Chip, any uh, any any other thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I just want to point out that you know the city of Baltimore, under Liberal Mayor Martin O'Malley, deployed sweep arrest, and we're having police grab people off the street without probable cause or charge, uh, up to a hundred a night, a thousand a month, and would hold them for the legal maximum amount of time allowable if they did not sign away. Uh, their rights to sue the city for false arrest. So this is a horrible escalation by the Trump administration, the way in which they are painting sort of urban cities as an enemy and clearly design and clearly using excessive force in order to punish what they view as liberal urban cities, sort of an internal enemy is extremely disturbing. But it's also important to sort of put this in the context of a larger history and practice of policing in the US, which unfortunately is quite grim. I think one more thing to note is that uh, on the Portland front, I believe the police union requested federal backup. And, um, you know, this is a police union that has been coddled by uh, the mayor, Ted Wheeler, and all the liberals in charge in Portland. And it's, it's the same with police unions everywhere across the country. And I don't know, maybe I, I hopefully this is some kind of turning point where people realize uh, where, where local officials realize that police unions are a fucking gang. Yeah, it's hard to see how we come, have come this far for things just to go back to the way they were. But it's also, you know, the rebellions and expansion of the New Deal welfare state during the 30s was followed by McCarthyism. The uprisings of the 60s and 70s, which seemed quite hopeful, were followed by the Reagan counter-revolution. So, you know, um, 
I don't know. I don't know. It's really hard for me to think that the dial, the discourse on policing has come so far in the last six months. It's hard for us to imagine we're back in a place where we were during like the Bush one, Bush two years or Clinton years, or even just early Obama administration discussing crime and policing. On the other hand, I don't think anybody thought you would go from like mass protest against the Vietnam War and, and black liberation movements and the Black Panthers to, you know, Reagan and then Bill Clinton, uh, Democrat, you know, having his sister soldier moment and, um, you know, going to the Rainbow Coalition to denounce uh, the black community for not saying more bad things about rappers who don't have political clout and then leaving his campaign to execute a mentally challenged person. Um, Right. I mean, I think Angela Davis talked about how if you had told her in the 70s when she was an anti-prison activist that we would have the number of people in prisons that we do now, she would not have believed it. You would have thought the person was was just, you know, absolutely bonkers. Um, And yet here we are. So there's a lot of calls for optimism. I don't want to sound like a pessimistic person. I'm actually probably more optimistic right now than I've been in some time. Um, because the the national uprising, the national protest is just so so powerful and so inspiring. But it is important to remember, as uh, Karl Marx said, uh, history possesses no wealth and wins no battles. People do that, and that you know people make history not to their liking. But whatever the quote from the 18th Mars is. Chip Gibbons, when he's not doing Chip Chat, he's the policy director over at Defending Rights and Dissent, and he also hosts his own podcast, Still Spying. Which you can check out at rightsdissent.sprout.com. It's also on uh, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you find podcasts. I, the other day, just typed the word Still Spying into my Spotify and iTunes search and I found my podcast which is very uh, exciting and of course the Still Spying podcast is produced and presented by Defending Rights and Dissent where I work Chip, thanks so much for doing this again Thank you for having me on Still